Hello everyone and welcome to Legends of the Spire. Now I know that we've probably got quite a lot of people listening or watching for the first time this week due to the guests that we have on. If so, welcome and where have you been? Um, I'm Dave, I am not a football journalist or a reporter or anything like that, I'm literally just a Chesterfield fan that's been watching the club for years and during lockdown I just decided to get in touch with a load of ex-Chesterfield uh, players and managers, have a chat with them about their careers and here we are, episode 40. Um, so please do look back at some of the former episodes, we've had great, great people on, Tommy Lee, Drew Talbot, the list goes on, it's endless. Um, but to celebrate episode 40 uh, that we have today, I have Paul Cook with me. Now Paul Cook needs no introduction really, he was the manager um, of the Chesterfield team that won League 2, got to the League 1 playoffs and also the Johnson's Paint Trophy final. A real roller coaster of a two and a half years in which we saw some absolutely gorgeous football played on the pitch. Now, as a bit of a disclaimer before the podcast starts, I do want to point out that Paul Cook might say some things that you don't agree with, and that's okay. Um, he uh, defends people like Chris Turner and, and Dave Allen, and obviously in his two and a half years of the club, his opinion of people might be different uh, than us fans who then had the preceding years um, after Paul Cook left. Um, so go into it with open ears is all I'm asking. Um, as always, we are at Spire Legends on Twitter and Instagram, Legends of the Spire on Facebook. It'd be great to know uh, what you think about the podcast. And please do like, share, subscribe, everything else. Um, it really helps to get the word out there. So, let's go for it. Here we are with the latest episode of Legends of the Spire with Paul Cook. I've seen that you're described as having a deadly inaccurate left foot. <laughs> Is that how you describe yourself as a player? <laughs> I, I, I did, just football's evolved so much, hasn't it? Mm. You know, it really, really has now. And a lot of it's fashion. You know, it, it, it's it's like the formation debate between 4-4-2. And the minute teams aren't winning games, fans, especially the older ones, want to see two up front because they, they just think that's the best way to play. You know, and in the time from me playing to the time where the game is today, it's just night and day. It's just absolutely night and day. And for some of the, the more senior managers, adapting to that at times can be difficult. Mm. You know, because a lot of the teams previously were built up on team spirit and, and you know, togetherness. And, and, and that normally come from a drinking culture at clubs, which was all best mates, we're all out together. We have a right good laugh and then we turn up on a Saturday, we have a right good game. Mm. And that's how football was. You know, so me as a player, you know, looking back at my time when I played, I love being a footballer the same way as I absolutely love being a manager. You know, you can't not love making fans happy. Yeah. You know, it's one of the biggest things for any young lad growing up is to dream about scoring a goal, is to dream about winning a game, is to dream about them moments that only football and sport can bring that no one can ever take away from you. So, you know, I look back at me time sometimes, certainly with a little bit of sadness because of the way we behaved. You know, that's the truth. But that was the culture of football. Mm. The role models in them days, you know, just wouldn't survive at a football club today because you just can't and it's not allowed and it's certainly not correct. But in days gone by, that was just normal. That, mm. was, that was the normal, you know. When we finished game at Wolves, for example, at Molyneux, We'd all go over to the goalpost pub, which is literally 40 yards from the stadium. 
Could you imagine Wolves players all turning up in the goalpost book today? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's something that I believe greatly that the game has changed for the better hmm. in terms of professionalism, in terms of analysis, in terms of tactical astuteness from coaches. You don't have to be a bright young coach. You don't have to be a senior manager to see football. Football's football. We all watch the game the same way. Fans can sit in the stadium and the first thing they'll see is a game going away from them. The coach is supposed to identify that and change formations to adjust to it. <laughs> we all watch the same game in the stands. Yeah. And that's something that when I look back at my time, I, I'm delighted, I'm proud of my career. Like I think everyone should be. I have no regrets on my career, none at all. You know, and certainly then coaching and managing has brought me so much more enjoyment, I think, because of the happiness that it can bring pe other people. Yeah. Who are the who are the people that you either coached you or you played with that have kind of influenced how you coach when you've become a manager? I, I, I was very lucky because, you know, there, there wasn't coaching in them days. There just wasn't. I, I, people would go back, you know, historically a Friday morning was a game. When we were at Wolves, for example, I go back to Wolves a little bit. Ours was on one of the old car parks with big ruts and mounds and concrete. And it was just old versus young. Mm. And if you didn't want to really join in the game on a Friday, you could stand out the way with your hat on and your gloves on. And some of the other lads would be going it out for leather. That was on a concrete gravel pit. <laughs> that's the truth. You know, that's not, you know, nowadays we're doing analysis on throw-ins, on free kicks, on the, such fine details in the game, which is correct. But in them days, wasn't available to anybody. You know, it wasn't it wasn't available in football. It wasn't available in your, your Monday to Friday work. You know, so my 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 biggest sort of influences on my career, most of all, my dad by far, a hundred percent by far, my father. Um, and then as I went into management, I was lucky enough. I played with some really big managers. You know, the Ron Atkinsons, the Gordon Stackens, the Graham Taylors. I played for loads. You know, but probably the, the biggest influence on me was Stan Turner. Hmm. You know, purely on the basis that he treated you like a man. He got the best out of players. And by the way, some of his man management skills were probably different, to say the least. But he knew how to get players onto a football pitch on a Saturday, set up, clear identity, and everyone wanting to cover every blade of grass for him. And as a manager sometimes, and I think that's, some of the stuff we hear today about managers losing the dressing room. I think some of the supporters should be so unhappy when they hear that because it normally means the dressing room's not a very nice place. Mm. But unfortunately, in the modern day game, it's the manager who loses the dressing room. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what about some of the supporters being allowed in the dressing room to tell some of them players what they actually think about them? Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, I think we'd have, we'd have loved that opportunity the last few years. <laughs> but, but, but unfortunately, in today, in the modern day game, we offer the manager up. Mm. And that's football today. I think that's something that the younger coaches are going to have to really learn to, to live with. I think for some of our, our more senior managers, I'd like to think I'm probably still in the middle a little bit at the minute. We just, we expect it. You know, it's normal now. Loyalty, especially in the game, is very, very, very thin on the ice. Yeah. You know, that's sad. Foster pounces to score the first senior goal of his career. 1-0 to West Brom. 
but Wolves hit back a minute before the break. Robbie Dennison blasts his free kick against the wall and Paul Cook's 25-yard drive is too good for Naylor. West Brom pay the price for failing to clear the ball and Cook's finish is deadly. When you were a player, did you know you wanted to go into management? Yeah, 100%. Nothing else for me. I was lucky enough that a coach at Accrington under John Coleman and Jimmy Bell um, and they brought me into the coaching side of the game and I'll be forever thankful for them at Accrington. Um, I was finishing my career as a player at Burnley. I joined Accrington Stanley. I've become player coach. And it just, it was my first sort of lessons in preparation, you know, contracts, money. John was very, very good. He allowed you to sit in rooms negotiating with players. And that was really interesting and good. You know, at the time, money wasn't like it was now. 100% it wasn't. The money's raced away from us all now. You know, the money's racing away from everyone daily, and that's sad. You know, but John, and I'll be forever grateful for John for giving me that opportunity and chance to just see how the, the mechanics of a football club worked. Yeah, and you actually, was it your last season then as a, as a player before you retired that you got promoted? My last season before I retired was probably about five years before I actually retired. <laughs> I was lucky enough to bluff my way through two or three years. Um, I, I think I was I, en I enjoyed the fact that hopefully my experience as a player could help other players in games and, you know, prepare them for the games. And when we had bigger games, if you like, you know, that because you'd been there, seen it and done it as such, that, you know, you could take everything quite comfortably in your stride. And, you know, I was more used at Accrington, especially latterly, probably a sub for the last 15, 20 minutes to to come on to see games out. Mm. But at that point, I progressed to doing a lot of the coaching under John and Jimmy. And again, as I said, something I'll be forever grateful for because it really gave me a great indication, especially at Accrington. They were a fantastic football club. You know, mid-table league, one club for Accrington, Stanley Well, yeah. Absolutely great credit to everyone at the club, Eric Wally, certainly John Coleman, Jimmy Bell, and to everyone, Andy Holt, the chairman there now you know, to the people that run that football club, because that football club's run properly with really good people and they bring players up with all the right habits. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, I had John Duncan on the podcast, obviously a legendary Chesterfield manager, and he was saying that when he first started as a manager, got his first job, that all the things he thought he would do as a manager, like his blueprint, he like chucked out the window after the first few weeks because it was just completely different with how he thought it would be. Is that kind of how it started with you? No, I was I was quite fortunate to say because when I left Accrington, I joined Southport hmm. and I got sacked at Southport by, I think it was uh, over the Christmas period, I think it was. And we basically put a new team together, similar to what we've just done at Ipswich. He said very similar to what we've done at Ipswich. You know, no squad in place for whatever reason. We threw a brand new team together at Southport. It was a part-time team. You know, we were having trials at Southport on the local the local fields up at Victoria Park in Southport. And we tried to go full-time on a on a on a wage bill. I think the wage bill was approximately two and a half grand a week, which as you can work out, it's probably 25 players on a hundred pound a week. Yeah. And I quickly learned about budgets and money. <laughs> Quickly learned. I remember the, the chairman at the time, he's a really good football guy, Charlie Clapham. He sacked me over my signings and I asked him which one in particular was the worst because they all weren't very good. But the, but the younger lads even then give you everything they've got. 
And when I got sacked at Southport, I didn't lose any sleep because the players and the team had given me everything that they got. We just weren't good enough. And there's never a crime when you're just not good enough. Yeah. There's never, ever a crime in that. The crime is when you are good enough and you don't put it in. Did, you, did that take any kind of self-confidence to go, actually, I can go somewhere else and can do it? Or do you... No, not particularly, because I, I then was lucky enough to get a chance to go to Ireland and manage. Mm. Uh, at Southport, I already had, you know, a, a, an identity of a team. I like playing 4-2-3-1, as everybody knows. That can be challenging at times. But that was how I wanted to play when I finished football. That was me genuinely, my own style of play, my own vision on the game. Yeah. Something that I firmly believed in. And the reality of the formation is you want to play against teams basically playing with two up front because it means you'll dominate the ball. doesn't mean you'll win the game, mm. but it means you will have more possession. For anyone who watched Liverpool and Tottenham on Sunday, for example, with Kane and Son up front, Tottenham for, forgive possession up, but knew they'd have chances in the game. And that's basically the gist of 4-2-3-1 and 4-4-2. It's possession over chances. And how you get them. And when I went to Ireland, I was lucky enough that I was at a fantastic football club in Sligo Rovers. The, the, the Irish League's a fantastic league, very, very fiercely competitive league. And they just let me manage the club. They just absolutely let me manage the club. We had a wage bill, I think, of about, I think it was €18,000. So I'd just been stacked with a £2,500 wage bill. I don't know what the euro was at the time. But as you can imagine, I thought I was Ancelotti or Mourinho spending the money. <laughs> I was actually giving lads 500 euros a week now, thinking, wow. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes for supporters, the budgets are important. The budget does allow you to get a better calibre of player. It doesn't mean that player will be correct, but it should mean a better calibre of one. And in Ireland, we, we, I had a fantastic four and a half years over there. I absolutely loved Sligo Rovers. I loved my time in Ireland. I was, I, I, we, we, the whole club changed. It was, I have three big things as a manager. I do, I have culture, habits and trust. And they're the three things that stay with me at my football clubs. Mm. You create the culture. If your habits are right, the trust comes. And I think it's the recipe for really, really, not success, but you'll be able to sleep at night. Yeah. And that's my thing. You know, once you get them right, the habits comes in training from Monday to Friday. The culture is one where you have to work hard to get better and you have to aspire to be a better player. You can't go from Monday to Friday not doing the correct things to become a better footballer. You have to work hard. And then the trust comes. The trust is between the supporters, the players. The best link of any football club is between the players and the, and the fans. It's the best link. The best times at any club is when the fans identify with the players. The worst times is when they identify with them for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I.e., we want to get in the dressing room to kill them. <laughs> and that's unfair, by the way. That's not that's not correct. And at Sligo, we created a really strong football team. We, we along with a lot of people's help, by the way. Uh, our identity was clear. You know, we had great nights, we won trophies and we saw players and and after four and a half years, it was just a time that I needed to come home for my family. Mm. You know, it, it was it was my missus, Joanne, had moved out to um, Ireland with me. She'd returned home with our youngest son, Connor, because life was difficult for her out there. It can be very lonely. Mm. You know, it can be challenging. She returned home and 
eventually I come home and I turned down the St. Johnston job in Scotland. Um, I just didn't feel right. And I got offered the Accrington job and a chance to uh, manage up with uh, Liam Richardson for the first time, who obviously was a trusted ally and companion for a long time. And we joined Accrington. And again, the wage bill was, was, without being disrespectful, was ridiculously low. But it was an opportunity to come back to English football. And it's quite ironic, my first game, we lost 4-1 to Plymouth. And a senior Plymouth uh, uh, personnel stroke involved with Plymouth. We were having a drink after the game and he said to me, quite ironically, don't try pass your way out of League Two. <laughs> and they were bottom of the league, Plymouth. We were doing all right. We were about 10. And, and, and I always had my clear mind that I wanted to pass my way out of games. I wanted our team to be the best team on the pitch. And it was quite ironic that Accrington being such a good football team got me my big break at Chesterfield. Well, yeah, I was going to say, because that 4-3, I mean, it's a 4-3 defeat for you. But, but like after that game, I remember all of the fans going, wow, they, they really deserve to win. <laughs> but again, it was, it was formations. You know, at the time, traditionally, I think Chesterfield were playing with Jack up front with Mark Richards. You know, traditional 4-4-2 team. I'm very good at it, by the way. Mm. You know, under John Sheridan, they had some, they obviously had moving to the Pro Act, you know, winning the league. I had great times under John. You know, the great times for any of us managers don't last forever. You know, that's football. But Chesterfield were made in a good way for us to dominate the game, dominate possession, but unfortunately lose the game. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes people want to create that great football team that also scores goals. And that can be quite difficult at times. But that was a good night personally. You know, because an Accrington team had gone to Chesterfield and played very well. Unfortunately, lost the game, but certainly probably got me my opportunity to manage Chesterfield Football Club. Yeah, and obviously you didn't know at the time that that would end up in you coming to Chesterfield. But do, do you kind of notice when you're when you're a manager and you go to opposition teams, do you kind of think, oh, they're, they're the kind of team I could manage, I could do well at? Do you ever get that? One of the saddest things for the game is how managers leave clubs quickly. And that's for good or bad. I think in the modern day game, money's created that. You know, lads, you know, I've had in my managerial career, every time a bigger club's coming from a lad, I probably had 99% of them knock on my door and say, I want to leave. It's natural. If, you know, the money, especially once you get to championship level and money into the Premier League, you're talking about totally life-changing money. Mm. And that's for managers as well. So it's hard sometimes for both. It's hard for a manager to say to someone, no, I think you've got to stay. But then if the same opportunity arose for you, you'd want to go. You know, one of the things I've tried to do as much as I can in my career is see a job out. Is get to that end point where you draw a line in the sand to say, right, what are the rules again now? Hmm. And the only time that's ever really been broken is at Accrington to go to Chesterfield. And unfortunately for me, latterly, I didn't switch to leave after 20 games. And that's football. The other times I've left all my other clubs, Wigan, obviously, which everyone will know about, you know, through no fault of my own in any shape or form. Chesterfield, unfortunately, because that journey had ran its course. And at Portsmouth as well at the end of the season, because, again, unfortunately, that journey had ran its course. Hmm. And I suppose you just get the sense, don't you, when it's the right time, I suppose. It, 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 it's, it's never the right time for a supporter. 
you know, if, and, and we're obviously on a Chesterfield podcast, do you know, there's always a, a blame culture in football and everybody wants someone to blame. I'm lucky enough that when you've seen both sides of it, for example, at Chesterfield, the money Dave Allen had to put in to keep the goal, club going monthly. And then everyone wants to paint Dave to be the big bad wolf. And that can be quite unfair, can't it? You know, my time at Chesterfield obviously ended because Dave wanted to sell all the assets. And why shouldn't he? <laughs> I wanted to go in the championship and manage. I wanted to take Chesterfield forward with the players and Dave wanted to sell the players and he wanted me to replace them again and start the journey we'd been on again. And if you go back to Chesterfield's journey, that was building a team that John Sheridan had with, you know, a lot of good players in Danny Whitaker types, you know, mm. Jack Lester, really good stalwarts for that football club, really historically legends, if you like. And Dave wanted to sell our best ones and start again. But I was on a faster journey than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was naturally on a faster... I was in a hurry now because I felt Chesterfield had took Paul Cook as far as they could go. And I wanted to leave as well. Mm. And that's the brutal truth of it. You know, and that's the sadness of it that we created a really strong team. But Dave was right, in my opinion. Dave's challenge for me when I first came in was to take Chesterfield to the championship. I felt I was on course to do that. But the reality for Dave and the money and the finances, and by the way, I have great respect for Dave Allen. He's the one. No, no one has to go up and turn up every month and put them amounts of money in. And the money was creeping up. If you want a challenge in League One to go into the championship, the money creeps up. Mm. You know, the Preston team that beat us, and I always remember it, we dominated the games, but Joe Garner and Beckford absolutely killed us. Yeah, yeah. They're not cheap players, Garner and Beckford, I'll tell you. <laughs> and that's football. And I think the sad thing for Chesterfield, or, or for us all at the time, was how it ended. Because it shouldn't have ended like that. It shouldn't have ended for me like that. It shouldn't have ended for Dave like that. And it certainly shouldn't have ended for Chesterfield Football Club like that. And that's the sadness of it. Yeah, and we were just so close. It was just so, There's many times like throughout Chesterfield's history that we've been touching the, the second division. And you just, just missed out on it. And you just... Oh. But, but it's hard to do that. We'd have had to keep the players. Yeah, We couldn't have kept some of them players. Them players were that good. They were going... As a manager then, I would have had to go take three steps back to rebuild the squad again. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and the whole PR around it wasn't great because I know Chris Turner, historically, there's a criticism at Chesterfield. I don't get that. Chris is probably, give or take a pound, one of the best football people I've been involved with in my football career who love Chesterfield Football Club. It was the whole time of how successful we were there's someone to blame. I'm sure a lot of Chesterfield fans blame me somewhere along the line. But I didn't want to rebuild a team. And instead of us all being very honest and just telling people the truth, it's, yeah. but the truth gets in the way of a good story sometimes. Always. 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 <laughs> That's a poor clearance from Poke. And a chance here for Owen Doyle. And he needs no second asking. It's an error from the goalkeeper, Michael Poke. And Owen Doyle makes it 1-1. Cooper. O'Shea! So often he scores from that sort of range, Jay O'Shea. 
And Chesterfield lead for the first time. The leaders back in front. Nantuay. Nice football this. Roberts back across. Two waiting in the centre and a chance to wrap this one up. He's done by Jay O'Shea who gets his second of the game in the 94th minute. Torquay's brave resistance broken with late goals here. Now going back to when you first came to Chesterfield, like what were your first impressions then of like the club and the town and the, the fan base? And You've got to remember, I'd been at Sligo at the time, who really had no training facilities and a very old stadium. I'd come back and joined Accrington. I knew what I was going into Accrington at the time. You know, not the greatest stadium in the world by any means, and certainly very, very little training facilities. Mm. I joined Chesterfield with an excellent squad, a very healthy budget, great training facilities, and an amazing stadium. So you can imagine how I felt. Yeah, absolutely. And your first signings, like I was, I was looking last night, first signings, it was like, you brought in like uh, you brought in Liam Cooper, didn't you? And, and Jay O'Shea, and uh, you got Nandre out of out of nowhere, <laughs> so, you know, and and, and Luis Boamorte as well. Super- but don't forget, you know, at the time Paul Mitchell was our chief scout, and again we were all in the same place at the same time. Mm. If you'd have been at Chesterfield from half past seven till half past eight, all it was we killed each other over football and the last night's game. And the arguing over players and debates and formations and tactics. You know, I've just left a football club, Ipswich Town now, that doesn't didn't have a recruitment room in the summer. And as I left last week, still has no recruitment room. How are you supposed to recruit players? Yeah, that's an interesting one. <laughs> How? In Paul Mitchell, we had one of the best chief scouts around who covered every blade of grass in England, who would travel anywhere to watch a player including probably every Sunday league game in Sheffield that was going on. You know, we signed Aaron Chapman, the goalkeeper from one of the local leagues. We signed players from everywhere. And that was a real collaboration of a group of people coming together that all had a love of football. That team was put together by myself, by Liam Richardson. Unbelievable help from Paul Mitchell, a great knowledge. So all the signings were made with a collaboration of us all, Chris Turner, you know, I'd watch Sammy Morsey grow up through playing with my son at school. Paul Mitchell had watched Liam Cooper grow up through playing in Hull's under-23 reserve teams. You know, you can go right through the place. Jimmy Ryan was a product of Backington's thing. And all them players were because we had such a good, trusted group of people together at the same time. And we wanted to oversee. You know, it was tough for me because winning over the trust of Chesterfield fans was difficult. Because I left Jack Lester out a lot. And when I left Jack out, that was the traditional 4-4-2. Jack Lester had a frighteningly good career. Jack Lester's a frighteningly good lad. He's going on to have a really good career now. But unfortunately for my time and with Jack's time and of coming to the end as I've seen it, it was always going to be difficult for me. Because I had a clear identity how I wanted to play. You know, and, and, and certain players obviously wouldn't have fitted into that. I replaced Jack and the likes with Owen Doyle. Mark Richards was still at the club. And it all become apparent quite quickly that, you know, at Chesterfield, we were putting together a very good team without a shadow of doubt. It was a team that was very well balanced. You know, in Tendai Tarika, for example, who was a young boy there, who John Sheridan really liked, Paul Mitchell really liked, Tommy Wright really liked. 
Tendai, mm. purely on the basis that Tendai was a young lad that just had a great attitude, great work ethic, and every day, whatever was put in front of him, he could get by. And Tendai's contracts probably went up from £200 a week to 250 to 300 to 400 to 450 And he kept thanking us for giving him new contracts. <laughs> <laughs> and what a career he's had. There was, there was something at the time, I don't know if it's just folklore or something, but there was something about how you made him walk around with a football. Yeah. Did you do that? Yeah, 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 100%. This is your culture. Tendai's biggest qualities was when he probably didn't have the ball. And when you're a footballer, I used to walk to school every day with a tennis ball. I just keep it, keep it, we touch, moving the ball, basic stuff. I'm talking in a Portsmouth, you're creating the culture. It was the first time, for example, in Ipswich Town, I wasn't allowed to create the culture. How sad's that for a manager? It was tying your hands, isn't it? I, but that's another debate. Yeah. And all the other clubs have created the culture. And my culture, as you can see with Tendai, when we used to watch young Tendai, using them as an example, if he crossed a ball behind the goal, I would blame all the coaches. Why isn't he crossing a ball on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday? So that when Saturday comes, it's repetition. Hmm. And having a ball, and for Tendai and the lads like that, having a ball around them, he used to have to warm up with a ball every day. And all it's doing is making you more familiar with the tools of your trade. And it's something that I think is a really good thing because a manager's job, a coach's job, especially with the younger players, is to make them better players, but also better people as well. And sadly for football now, sometimes that's getting a bit lost in the game as well. You've had a down to find Owen Doyle. Down delay! Chesterfield lead with three minutes to go. And it's Armin Gandelay with his second league goal of the season. By Gandelay, he's again substitute. It's Dorikwa took a slight deflection. And Sullivan beat him for a second time. And surely now that will wrap it up for Chesterfield. You could definitely tell that as well when you were watching matches because you could tell that the players actually wanted the ball and wanted to be on it. And we've had plenty of managers over the last few years where they're running the opposite direction as soon as the ball goes near them. <laughs> you never watched Ipswich in the last few games, did you? <laughs> but that's that was, you know, I had the trust of Dave Allen. I had the trust of Chris Turner. You know, they allowed me to coach the team, to, to bring players in that suited the system, to recruit well, and then to create that culture that everyone could see. We were a very young, hungry, fit team that was obviously coached very well by other people, that was obviously also very well. We had Shinner in, obviously, as our fitness, head of fitness. I don't think I've ever worked with a better one than him in my career to date. I know he's at Derby County now. How lucky are Derby County to have such a good guy? They're basically are very good at their job. So if you've got a lad, for example, and we can use any of our players, Sammy Morsey, Liam Cooper, Jay O'Shea, when they're with Shinner, you're not looking over your shoulder to see what they're doing or are they doing the right things. You know they are. Yeah. And that old culture of that club, Chesterfield, was perfect. You could tell You could tell that there was a lot of trust in Shinner because he took them boxing and, and all sorts, didn't he? There was loads of different stuff in terms of... Yeah, and again, I think uh, the boxing one was very much... I started the boxing. 
at a Chesterfield. I think from there it evolved in. You know, I believe that lads going to boxing club would find something that you don't have to find on a football pitch, mm. without a doubt. From there it evolved. Shinner also enjoyed the boxing as well. So it grew from there. We take the whole team in the boxing clubs. We've done the same at Ipswich, at Portsmouth. I've done the same at um, Pompey in the local boxing gyms where you, you really have to find something that you don't. Again, you go back to Ipswich now historically where we had a performance department. <laughs> Yet the manager gets sacked. Wow. Work that one out for yourselves. <laughs> We've been saying about uh, Bank to you want to be a, a couple of goals left, give him an easy in, but of course the injury to Sam Morsi meant that changed yeah, the plan. And you know yourself, Phil, all clubs get affected by Bristol Rovers stuff, with it? Excuse me, could we just do an interview, mate? Thank you. <laughs> it, 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 he was going to get the brunt of it, by the way, wasn't he? <laughs> but you know, Sammy Morsi looks like it's a bad one. Thank you. We, we only came like two points off the playoffs, I think, in that. You obviously are only here for a little bit of... of what well, not for the full season, but only a couple of points off the playoffs, and obviously ended that season with Leicester's last match as well. And it was, it was how 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 obviously you were planning probably for the next season where you throughout. It was that. always tough with Jack. It was always tough. I wanted to play one up front. I was I was dead comfortable as a coach manager playing one up front. I, as as everyone knows, full backs are very much attackers for me. You know, you you reliance upon your full backs to attack and give you a width. You know, the wide players are supposed to come off the line and play. So you're overloading areas of the pitch. Jack was probably just a victim at the time of my uh, my style of play. And Jack's, Jack's playing, Jack has his, I think, did he get two on his last game against Exeter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. won 4-0. If you played with two up front, Jack Lester would score goals. That, that's a given. Jack's record historically is fantastic. And and, and that was the, 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 the sad thing about it. Probably the time for us both was probably just wrong. Mm. And that's sad because Jack could have certainly had another year or two under me, but it wouldn't have been playing. Yeah. And you know yourself, if you're a Chesterfield manager, you're not winning a game and you've got Jack Lester on the bench. <laughs> you got 99.9% of them want him on the pitch when he's fit. And and, and that, that was sad for both me and Jack. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What's your, what are your like non-negotiables? players because yeah. when I spoke to John Duncan he was talking about they had to be fitter than the opposition it had to be you know it had to be winning more scoring more from set pieces than conceding and you know he had these certain things that was like what, yeah. what was your non-negotiable in terms of maybe personality of the player or, or things I, like that? I, I just think when you go on the pitch you go into the word trust then when you're a manager and you trust the player he doesn't have to play well for you hmm. but you trust him Gary Roberts played for me at every club I had. I trusted him. Yeah. Gary's probably had as many bad games as every other player. But I trusted him. Mm. And that trust comes from your habits. You know, you're training from Monday to Friday. Taking information in, which is huge. You know, taking information in, which is huge. You know, and it, latterly I go back to, you know, my last job at Ipswich where you genuinely felt you weren't having the biggest effect on the players. As a manager, coach, you're in trouble. You're in trouble big time. At all the other clubs, I felt I had that. 100% I had that. The non-negotiables are, 
for your fans to clap you off at the end of the game? How do your fans clap you off at the end of the game? Do you feel you have to win the game to be clapped off? I don't. Yeah, definitely not. Fans can't be kidded. Fans can't be kidded. If you give everything you've got and they visually see that, to a man they will stand and applaud you at the end of a football game. Mm. Unfortunately for us nowadays, you can't kid fans. And sometimes we don't see that in teams' performances. Fitness has got to be there. People go on about, we want to be the fittest team in the league. I've never agreed with that because you don't know how fit other teams are. You can only be the fittest you can be. Yeah. And I pride myself on every club I've been at, except Ipswich Town, I must add, where I question the fitness of the team. I don't think Ipswich Town's first team today is a fit team. I'm involved in that, 100%. At my other clubs, I knew they were fit. And that's huge. Yeah. Now going into that 13-14 season, which was obviously amazing, like the signings that you pulled out that summer were just ridiculous. Um, you know, and it, you could feel the excitement, especially when we signed Gary Roberts, the excitement around the fans and stuff. When you're kind of going through that path of building a squad, um, is it important to get certain ones first so that you can then use them to speak to other players? And No, not particularly. You know, there'll always be a marquee signing. You know, I think John Sheridan before me brought Sam Togwell, Sam Aird and Mark Richards. Mm -hmm. I inherited them. I was lucky enough to inherit them three lads. They were all good lads, good players, really good players. Mm. You know, so we already had at Chesterfield a core of a really strong team. Adding to them, for example, bringing Jimmy Ryan in and Sammy Morsey, there's always a bit of a gamble because they haven't played together. For example, Sammy had to play on the left side of central midfield, yet I love balancing my teams. Sammy's not a natural left footer, but he had to play there because Jimmy had lovely balance on the right that we felt Jimmy's energy to get about the pitch would compensate Sammy's lack of balance. Yet they together are without doubt probably the best two midfielders I've had in my manager as a compliment. Not necessarily the best players, but as a compliment and as a core, because I wanted to play with a box, the box being me two centre-halves and me two centre-mids. Everybody else just attacks. Everybody else is attacking. Yeah. And that box with Liam Cooper, Sam Aird, uh, Sammy Morsey and Jimmy Ryan was outstanding. What, what football's done more than anything now, especially when I started my sort of managerial career, there was a lot of 4-4-2 still in the game. You know, and I must add for fans and supporters, it doesn't matter what formation you're playing, just be good at it. Yeah. Just be good at it. Because every formation can be countered by another formation. But we're now getting onto page three and four of the culture manual. <laughs> the brutal reality is it's 11 v 11. Yeah. It always has been and it always will be. But certain formations create different sort of, you know, game formalities. The famous one being, if you wanted to dominate possession, have three central midfielders. If you play against two central midfielders, the reality is three should outnumber two. <laughs> and that's just something now that, you know, some of the things that really upsets me and irritates me is when people say on about, 
you know, managers and, you know, the tactically clueless and stuff like that. Tactics are not hard to understand. They're not. The hardest part is showing trust in your team. How can you show trust in your team when you keep changing tactics every five minutes? There's no trust. Yeah. You can't develop trust. What your formation should do is adapt to the opposition. That's a difference than chopping and changing as a manager. It's something I've never believed in at my time. Coaching, it's something I'll stay with me for as long as I manage. The players' trust must also reciprocate to the manager. They have to trust you. Yeah. And you have to trust them, especially in times of adversity. Did it surprise you how quickly it all it all came together and you were you were winning at the start of that promotion season? Because we had that at Leeds, we had that game at Leeds early on in the season where yeah, we, we got B2-1. But played them off the park. But yeah, it really came together really quickly, didn't it? That's probably yeah. all. But also a great group of lads. You know, uh, you know, when you compliment the staff. You know, the staff, you know, Jamie Hewitt was the physiotherapist, obviously. Uh, Chris Turner being the CEO. Uh, Paul Mitchell, uh, obviously from myself, Liam Richardson coming in. You know, it, it was just a really good environment. Kevin Lynch come in as first team coach. It was a really good environment. It was, a, it was when I say about culture and habits, it was an habit where the managers and the staff wanted to get better. We were all wanting to know why had Aston Villa played that way? Why is someone, you know, the players had the real environment on the training ground, the gym to get better. Certainly with Shin, and as I've said, he was outstanding. You know, and the club was very much a happy place to be. You know, that just come out in the performances. We had some great nights over the way. I think we started the season off winning 2-0 at Berry, mm. if I'm not mistaken, and ended up winning the league against Fleetwood at all. You know, and winning the league was just the icing on the cake. Yeah, I wanted to mention one signing, just because Richie Humphreys, uh, and like we had Tommy Lee on, and Tommy Lee said that at the time when you signed Richie Humphreys, that some, of the, some of the squad were a bit like, what's, what's he signing? What's, he, what's this guy coming on trial for? And like we saw him at like Matlock in the pre-season friendlies yeah. and, and things like that. But he turned out to be one of the best players that season. One of the best lads I've ever worked with as well. Something again to go back, and it's always disappointing when you've left a club like Ipswich and never got to bring a Richie Humphreys into the club. Someone that from the minute he comes in the building to the minute he leaves does everything properly and correct. And when you have someone in a dressing room like that, the younger kids naturally look at him and follow. Mm. There was a young lad who came through with us at Chesterfield, and I won't name him, there's no need to name him. I tried to make him get changed next to Richie Humphreys every day. So that Richie's habits would rub off on him. Unfortunately, Richie's habits didn't rub off on him and the lads drifted now out the game and was probably one of the better players that we had mm. in certainly talent. Talent's not enough. Talent will never, ever be enough. And Richie's whole attitude to the game, also on the pitch, could play football, game intelligent, took information in well. And as I say... Just a fantastic lad and role model that quickly jumped into that group and gelled so well. And 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 I, and I have to say, you know, in my times, you know, I've been lucky that the dressing rooms I've had, certainly Chesterfield, an absolutely outstanding group of men together. A lot of them lads are still friends now and still meet up. And that always gives me great pride as a manager. 
Yeah, yeah. And definitely, I mean, with Richie Humphries, I mean, even when he slotted into centre midfield for, for those last couple of games when Sam Morsi was suspended, the through again, certain game was just delightful. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, it's all about formations, it's all about tactics, also about personnel. You know, Richie's legs were probably just starting to waver a little bit. But if you put lads like Jimmy Ryan around him, Richie looked fantastic. Yeah. And he's a great lad, Richie, and we really wish him well. Yeah, great. Richie Humphries but I was going to ask you about pressure because I think in that promotion season we didn't drop below fifth and it might just be me as a football fan asking a really silly question uh, but like the pressure obviously there's probably more pressure when you're at the bottom of the league than there is at the top but I imagine it's a different sort of pressure but there's still a pressure there when you're there to be kind of shot at and overtaken the pressure that you put yourself under is a natural pressure. I think for any coach, and one of the things that always irritates me now, especially in the game, we give out manager of the year. And naturally, it's normally the manager that's won the league. The manager that's naturally won the league is not necessarily the best manager out there. Mm. There's so many other factors that come into it. So many other factors. You only have to look at Sean Dyche in the Premier League every year and keeping Burnley up. You only have to historically look at other clubs who've, who, in my opinion, overachieved and completely overachieved. And it's something that's never factored into certain stuff. You know, what a manager goes through from a Monday to a Friday. You know, how hard does he work with the players? How, how well is he doing? The pressures of managing the bigger clubs are naturally there because that pressure comes from the terraces onto the pitch. Historically, when you haven't done well, the pressure becomes too much for a lot of the players on the pitch and possibly a lot of the coaches that stand on the sidelines. Mm. Because if you look at the bigger clubs, for example, in the Premier League even, if you look at Everton today, for an example of a club, Everton fans are not happy with where they are. That transmits now onto the pitch. So a misplaced pass becomes the end of the world. Mm. So I think you've got to, as a manager... You've got to be able to, with, with your people that are running the club, you've got to deem what is success before you start the season. And if you deem success and you spoke to Green, you can only really feel pressure if you're not close to achieving what you set out to do. Mm -hmm. At Chesterfield, we clearly felt we were strong enough to get out of League Two. John had done that. John Sheridan had got this team out of League Two. So getting out of League Two was something that we felt... Chesterfield can achieve. The budget that Dave Allen gave the manager was a very, very competitive budget. The stadium, the training ground, the calibre of player we had. So getting out of League Two was a pressure that a manager had to, had to live with. Yeah. And and that end of that season, it must have been... It, it, do you get to enjoy it when you're, you're going for the title and stuff? And I, I don't know. Do you manage I wouldn't it? say you get to enjoy it, lads. <laughs> I enjoyed Burton. Mm. I enjoyed Burton. I enjoyed Burton a lot. I enjoyed the journey home from Burton Albion, which was fantastic. Yeah. You know, we certainly had a few pints in and around the Pro Act. Chesterfield was a really happy place to be. And then once we'd won at Burton, we were desperate to win the league. You know, as a manager and you're competitive, 
you know, you want to be the best in the division. And by the way, getting promotion is great for anyone. It's the best feeling in the world. Promotion at the start of a race is great. But to, just to get, we wanted to be Fleetwood desperately on the last game of the season. It was a great occasion. It was a great day. I think it was a fantastic Gary Roberts goal that got us the league title. Yeah. Fitting guy to get us the title because he's just... 100%. I mean, he's just a great... I, I mean, I, I remember as well, there was the match, I think it was against Cheltenham where he, he pulled the player's shorts down when there was a free kick and stuff like that. It seemed like he was... You could tell that he really enjoyed playing football yeah. as well, which is quite nice as a supporter to see. But we were lucky. You know, we, we'd signed a lot of lads, lads who probably we haven't even mentioned. You know, lads like Dan Gardner. Ollie Banks, yeah. Charlie Raglan, all non-league signings. Again, Paul Mitchell would Paul Mitchell would have been very, very influential in them ones to watching the non-league. Paul knew clearly how we wanted to play, and his eye for the play and his vision fitted in correctly with ours. So you're getting into that trust thing again. Hmm. You know that real, real trust thing. Can we afford the player? Can we go to Dave Allen and say, can we sign these lads? I think some of them lads were. 15 grand, 10 grand, whatever it was, you know, and Dave would support us with them. And they, 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 they then come into a culture that was correct. So as a manager, you're so happy when you know your culture's correct because anyone that comes into that, there's no wiggle room. There's no, you have to conform. If you don't conform, you will get highlighted and you leave the club. Mm. And if you can't conform, we'll all have success together. Promoted Chesterford will go up as champions with a win over fourth place Fleetwood. Beautifully done for O'Shea. He delivers the cross and the finish is provided by Sam Hurt. They are back on terms early in this second half. Lovely floated ball in from O'Shea and Hurt attacking it made it his. Chesterfield just at the moment. They find a way through the mass ranks of the defence. Oh, they certainly can. It's Gary Roberts who's done it. Two goals in four minutes for Chesterfield to turn it around. And they are heading for the League Two title as it stands. Promoted last Sunday. They might be going one better. What was it like going into League One? Because unbelievable. the momentum just seemed to carry over, didn't it? Well, it was the first time probably... It, under Dave, that had felt the first time of any financial, not problem, they weren't problems. When a manager doesn't get what he wants, we'll blame the owner. It's football. Yeah. And what Dave wants to do that, he certainly didn't want to add to the squad and he didn't want to renew one or two contracts. I think it was Mark Richards left us. I think Sam Togwell left us. I think one or two others left us. And we never brought anybody in. As far as I recollect, we went into League One with a lesser squad in numbers. And we never recruited. Historically, you guys might look back and have a look and see. We, I don't remember signing anyone. Well, it's interesting because when John Sheridan got promoted from League Two to League One, uh, there was a whole thing about us going to sign Clayton Donaldson and then it didn't happen and... Yeah. I spoke to a few players from that squad who said, oh, we, we kind of felt like the squad wasn't as good as the League Two squad, which is a bit odd. And it kind of felt at the time like it was maybe a bit of history repeating itself. Was it like Leon Clark or someone like that? that was... Well, that come later on. That come later on. That come later on. Now, you've got to remember, and especially what people forget, for being promoted, lads' contracts might go up 20 30 40%. Mm. 
So it's easy for us all to say, oh, Dave Allen wouldn't do this. Without people knowing, that wage bill's probably gone from a pound to one pound fifty. Yeah. But none of us see that because we have the same players. So my own contract would have went up. My staff's contract went up. The players. So although we haven't signed anyone, the wage bill's naturally gone up. Mm. So that's something that we all... So going into League One was clearly a division that we had to stay up in. That was the challenge for us. We had to stay up in. I know we had Leighton Orient to wait for his game. Leighton Orient had just lost in one of the most best finals I'd seen at Wembley with the famous Steve Evans running down the line when his belt fell down on Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and Leighton Orient had a really good side. You know, a really, really good side. We went there, we won the first game of the season, we had amazing travel and support and it became quite apparent quite quickly we weren't out of our depth in that league. We weren't. There was a couple of good teams in the league, Bristol City, MK Dons, Swindon, and can't think of anyone else, but we were one of them. Mm. Our players were good. Our hunger, our desire, everything about us was good. And injuries permitting, we knew after five, six games that we had a chance of getting towards the playoffs without a doubt. Yeah, definitely felt like that straight away. And and it, it was interesting, some players, like you mentioned Owen Doyle, he seemed to, it, League One seemed to almost suit him better than, than League Two in a way. I don't know whether it's... The... I think one of the things you've got to factor in, when we went from League Two into League One, we've gone from being a big fish in a small pond to a little fish in a bigger pond. So whereas teams had come to Proact, for example, and set up against us to try and not get beat, mm-hmm. we never had that in League One. You know, everyone thought they could beat Chesterfield, for example. So we were playing in a lot of open games. The more open the game, the more it suited us. Our players knew each other inside out. There was a clear identity how we were playing. You know, our one up front with uh, a number 10 behind them. You know, the lads were balanced. We, we knew each other really well. The trust was clearly there from the supporters into the team. I don't think we had many bad moments. I think... I think we got beat at Derby in the Cup in the fourth round, possibly 2-0. But it was a great day. You know, we were backed by 4,000 travelling fans. Great atmosphere. I think it was Darren Bent scored in the 90th minute to kill us off. But it was never a game we were dead in. It was a fiercely... And you were just proud to manage a club that could compete on them stages and really acquit themselves well, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Roberts in the area. Now Johnson. O'Shea on the edge of the penalty area. Squares the ball for Ryan to shoot. Jimmy Ryan. Still Danny Jones. Michael Higgins got a red. Oh, O'Shea. Michael Higgins is sent off. That was a 5 2 thrashing away at Swindon. Everett, well, Everett played the ball back there, put Tommy Lee in trouble. And what's going to happen here? Win. Oh, well, Rob. Gary Roberts with the chance here. Roberts, can he go all the way? He's got Doyle in support, but he doesn't need him. The cross comes into Johnson in the penalty area. Danny Johnson's shot. Doyle! Goal number 13 of the season for Owen Doyle 
and Chesterfield now have a 3-0 lead. And there was a great couple of games against Sheffield United. I mean, that 3-2 that where there's a few red cards and we ended up with Miles Wright in net. Bless him. Uh, Bless him, he's right. <laughs> yeah, that was a great day. We went 3-0 up, didn't we? And again, for, you know, for, for, for and I've got to say, for, for Dave Allen, 100%, Chris Turner, you know, Paul Mitchell, myself, the staff, they were great days because you live in the, in the shadow of Sheffield United. And rightly so. Sheffield United did an outstanding football club, a massive, massive football club. Chesterfield's a fantastic football club. Every supporter supports their club with equal love. It's just the bigger clubs have more fans. Mm. I travelled to Tottenham Sunday on the first trains out to Liverpool. I love Liverpool. I love going to London to watch my team play. But just because we have more fans than Chesterfield, it doesn't mean we love our club any more or less. And then Chester, and especially, you know, the final game, which was disappointing because probably I knew I was leaving. You know, at Bramall Lane was 2-2. And the brutal truth of it, we felt we were better than Sheffield United at that moment. Mm. As a team, we felt we had a better team than Sheffield United. We're naturally going to feel that. They're our players. It's our club. And that was the sadness even in that game. I knew I was leaving. Yeah. Did you... Did you think you'd have probably left even if we'd have gone up through the playoffs? I, I had to leave. Yeah. I had to leave because, it, it, and again, it was unfortunate. I tried to bring Leon Clark to the club for the playoffs. Um, we'd obviously lost Owen Doyle, mm. which we hadn't replaced in the January. We're clearly going to get into the playoffs. And we offered Leon Clark to come in to Dave Allen. It, it was a set amount of money and Dave turned it down. That's the brutal truth of it. You know, it, along with the board, they didn't want to bring Leon in. They felt we had enough. I clearly felt we didn't have enough. Hence, I think it was Sam Clucas or Ollie Banks had to play up front in one of the playoff games. That was that was the Dave's decision and the board's decision. You have to respect it. Mm. You have to respect them decisions just because I didn't get what I wanted. You know, and it was clearly made... You know, that come the playoffs, hell or high water, we were going to sell our assets, you know, and we were going to start again, good or bad. Imagine taking that Chesterfield team in the championship, stripped of your assets. Yeah, it'd have been interesting. <laughs> and by the way, you, you look back and even myself, and I love my time at Portsmouth. I absolutely love Portsmouth. Portsmouth is an amazing club. There's always a regret that you didn't stay at clubs. Should I have stayed? I couldn't stay at Wigan any longer. Mm. Could I have stayed at Chesterfield? Possibly. Could I have stayed at Portsmouth? A hundred percent, possibly. You know, and they're both clubs, Chesterfield and Portsmouth, that I love dearly. I follow every result. You know, even today I'm looking at Chesterfield, top on goal difference, got a game in hand. Are we going to go up? Come on, Danny, you can do it. it, it it's the same. You want them to do so well, but it become clearly obvious through Dave. And everything, and I don't blame Dave Allen. No shape or form. He put money into that club monthly to pay wages to keep it going. And when you do that, you deserve a lot of credit. You don't deserve lambasting. Dave obviously wanted to sell the club and other stuff then. So the sadness was, at the height of where we were, our journey was done. I'll just mention one more name. I don't want it to become a, a, a thing about us 
uh, about talking about players and stuff because obviously uh, got you here. Uh, but Daniel Johnson, that was one where the fans were like, "Oh, can't we just sign Daniel Johnson?" It was like, <laughs> but you can't blame Dave for it, can you? You know, you can't. You know, Dave. You know, and again, I don't want to get one or two things wrong on the podcast. Hmm. You know, what a fantastic stadium was built for the people of Chesterfield to be able to go. You know, top end League One football. Is that the best Chesterfield can do? I'd take it now. <laughs> but, but that's a debate, isn't it? Because we always want more. Mm. I look at John Coleman at Accrington today, mid-table League One. I bet your Accrington fans at the minute now and again might get a bit bored with that. Really? Can Accrington do any better? John, don't slag me off, John. I hope he's got up. <laughs> what a job John Coleman's doing. Yeah, amazing. But even for Chesterfield sometimes... You know, what we'd all done, probably the best thing that could have happened at that point was Dave selling the club. New owners come in, new staff come in, and everyone has a fresh start. Mm. You know, the Daniel Johnson one, yeah, we could have signed Dan Daniel for 50 grand. You know, the deal was there. We all, as every Chesterfield fan knows, what a good player he was. Again, you can't kid supporters. You know, one of the things we were doing at times was probably leaving them out a time or two just to not flag them up on a radar when everyone else can come and get them. That's the sadness of football. He's in an offside position, I think. Klukas. Klukas with the cross. Doyle with the shot! And Doyle with the goal for Chesterfield! Chance here for the spy-line. That's a good ball from Johnson. In for Owen Doyle! Doyle tries to take it past Canavan. Owen Doyle in the penalty area! And a second penalty for Chesterfield. Doyle this time. Makes no mistake. Not the lady's face as well. Ryan joins them now. It's a great chance here. Sam Morsey. Yes! Sam Morsey made it look so easy. It's his first league goal of the season. What's a typical training session like for you? Hard. <laughs> tough. In replicating what you do on the pitch. Uh, without uh, on a Saturday when you've got the ball you make the pitch big and expansive when you haven't got the ball you make it small compact and get after the ball mm. pressure from the front of the pitch all the time you know put the opposition under pressure force mistake, mistakes take the ball off them high up the pitch in their half and create and score goals always has been but you've got to have a fit team to do it I say that's it's interesting because James Rowe currently talks about how they want to replicate the matches in training. So that there's, yeah. there's, and I suppose that's a similar philosophy then, is it? For everyone, if you're going to get better, it's no different than, again, where you perform on stage. When you perform on stage in your big show, you've practised on stage all week to go onto the big stage. You've got to replicate them situations so that it becomes second nature to your team. If you're not replicating what you're going to do on a Saturday, then Saturday will become a strange day. Saturday should just be the culmination of all your hard work during the week and you're now going out to perform in front of your fans. And Chesterfield fans were great fans to perform in front of. Is it? Do you get those kind of proud moments on, on the touchline when things are going really right? And I've always wondered because you get those points where the fans will start doing Paul Cook give us a wave and you can kind of tell sometimes the man... You're like, oh, I, I don't really want to. I've got 
<laughs> it's hard because don't forget I would have had difficult moments as Chesterfield manager. Yeah. There was a lot of Chesterfield fans didn't want Paul Cook at times. You know, that was football. I remember us getting beat one nil away at Rotherham and I picked Nangelay. And you get dogs abuse. You know, one of the sad, saddest things about football today is how easy it is to give managers abuse. Managers are human beings like everyone. Managers have families. Like a lot of our families are sitting in the stands. I go a game now. I don't understand where some of the anger and the hatred comes from towards managers and coaches and, and even players. I've always been brought up that you support your team and you get behind your team. I think one of the saddest things now in football is how hostile stadiums become towards their own team. How can you call yourself a supporter? Yeah. I don't feel that supporting your team. I hear, I hear people saying, now, well, we won't buy tickets and we won't turn up at the stadium. I'd follow Liverpool to the ends of the earth. And when times aren't good, I trust the people who are running the club to get the right coaching or to get the right manager. I understand the anger towards ownership sometimes. I get that. Because they're the ones you're entrusting to run your club. But somewhere along the line, I think we've got to have a solidarity thing around supporters who, to take the anger out the game. Mm. And to, to and it's hard, you, you know, you only have to look at Chesterfield to where we fell. How can you not be angry if you're a supporter? What's it like when you get on your coach at nine o'clock in the morning and you're going to travel five hours to watch a team that you don't like? That's part of being a fan. The best part of the day is the coach journey. The worst part of the day is the match. <laughs> it's the truth, isn't it? Yeah. And I think historically, somewhere along the line soon, you know, we've got to stop this, you know, slagging managers off, lambasting us, you know, losing dressing rooms, tactically naive. Ah, come on. Sometimes we just don't have a very good team. Sometimes we need, you know, how long does it take now for a manager to implement styles on teams and cultures? Yet we're getting managers sacked now in ridiculously short lengths. It's sad for the game. Yeah, and it, it's weird because you do have those matches sometimes where you obviously just get beaten by a better team on the day. And it's it's funny sometimes how people sometimes can't accept that sometimes, that it is just a, a, a good team. But nowadays... There has to be an excuse and a blame culture for the defeat. He should have changed tactics. So, you know, if you're winning 2-0, why would you change your tactics? I remember drawing 2-2 with Rochdale at home. Rochdale equalised in the last kick of the game. Tommy Lee dropped the corner. And our fans were slagging me off for not changing it. Tommy Lee's just dropped the corner. <laughs> and by the way, I love Tommy Lee. What a goalkeeper. Sometimes we've just got to accept that results can't go our way every time. But if your pursuit of success comes with trust, trust has to be built over a period of time. And as we've got, you know, with James at the minute, at Chesterfield, the trust clearly developing between a manager and a club. Mm. The results are coming. Going to Chelsea in a cup tie. See if James' philosophy on the game stays the same at Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the best of luck, James. <laughs> Well, 
you've beaten some big teams in your tie. You beat Man City, didn't you, when you were at... Uh, yeah. I mean, is Pep Guardiola on your Christmas card list? No. <laughs> a bit of a... <laughs> no. <laughs> Had a bit of a moment in that match. <laughs> but again, you go back to, you know, when you... One of the things that, especially when I've managed in the Championship, you quickly realise when you stand on the line with some of the better managers, the better coaches, historically, there's no great information comes out. There's nothing you listen to that makes you go, wow. Mm. You know, a lot of us managers and the English managers, I don't think are getting enough chances. I think, you know, of course we can learn off it. We can learn by education. We can learn by diplomas. We can learn by courses. But the best education of all is when you stand on the line and you watch and you listen and you trust your team. You know, for us all now, and, and as all, you watch Klopp Sunday and Conti, we're all fiercely competitive. You know, that, that's the brutal too. We don't like getting beat. Yeah. You know, if you can see the goal late on, it hits. But somewhere along the line, you've got to realise to harness that into educating your team to perform the way you want. That eventually sees results going your way. The main reason I started this podcast in the first place uh, was just so that we could see the players that we've we call legends over the years, just see the the real side of them. Because like you say, and a lot of players have spoken about how they change as soon as they cross the white line because they have to be yeah. to survive on a pitch. Does that happen in the same way when you're in the when you walk into the dugout for a match? Do you, do you No, not really. You know, because my, my, my philosophies on the game are very much from Monday to Friday. You know, whereas you guys are no press, 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 pass, pass, pass. <laughs> You'll have heard me shouting that. Everyone hears me shouting that. Yeah. Which means when we haven't got the ball, press, press, press. When we have got the ball, pass, pass. It, it, it's football. And I think as a manager, you want to evolve with the game, you know, but you also want, and the proudest thing of all, when people say, you know, your team replicates you. I think that's a rally thing. I've been lucky enough at three out of my four jobs now. I'm so disappointed I lost my job at Ipswich. You know, Ipswich is an absolutely amazing football club. Honestly, amazing support, unbelievable. And they're just at a point now where their fans just want success. Mm. And they want someone. I'm so disappointed that we weren't given the time to deliver that. You know, but I certainly wish Ipswich Town the best they can. I've been lucky enough at the other clubs that I've won the league at each club. I've delivered success and I've felt that that love that can come from a terracing into the dugout. And when you feel that, it's something that will never leave you and something that you just crave to recreate again. Yeah, and, and we're pretty much coming to the end, uh, but I've, I wondered how, was it 2006 you, you were started at Southport, I think? So it was yeah. So on your 15th anniversary of being a, a manager. So how has it changed over the years? It just has changed, you know, just, just purely for me last job now you know, where I went into a club where, you know, and I'll be, there's no criticism here towards people. It was it was different. Mm. It was different. You know, we went in with a performance department, you know, and never took training during the pre-season. There was no boxing gym cultures. There was no making players feel hardship, you know, and somewhere now along it, you know, we've created the term head coach Okay, and I think in the modern day game, what they're trying to do with their head coach is take a lot of the pressures away from them. Yet we still sack the head coach and everyone else stays. And I think as a manager, you want to be in control of your own destiny. 
at all my clubs apart from Ipswich, I felt I was in control of my own destiny. Mm. I look back at Ipswich, for example, no recruitment room in the summer, no problem with that. When I left two weeks ago, still no recruitment room in place. How can Ipswich Town not have a recruitment room when we're signing a lot of players? Come on. Yeah. You with me? These are the sadness I go back to all my other clubs. I've had my own recruitment people. I've had my own fitness guys. I've implemented my culture and my habits. And I think the change in football now, where people want to see a modern-day young coach playing football, we actually just want to see a good manager who's got good values and good principles. That's what we want to see. Mm. And at the football club, that manager should be allowed to make sure that he's the one setting the culture. He's the one that's ingraining the habits into the players. And he's the one that creates the trust amongst everyone. It's something I had out the three out of me four clubs. And unfortunately, it's something that I've seen me sack for at Ipswich when I didn't have them. That's the saddest thing for me. And I wish Ipswich Town every success. Every, every success. Because they've got an amazing support base. They've got an amazing football club. And they're just a little bit starved of success. And hopefully time will bring that success for everyone at that club. So, so what's the next steps for you now? Is it just a case of see what right back happens? In, right back into management. I love football. I, I love football more than anything in the world. Well, not more than anything. I obviously love my missus and my kids, you know. Uh, but, but as you can see from the podcast, you know, I breed it. I live it. I watch Liverpool whenever I can't. I'm getting tired of watching Liverpool. I've watched three games in the last week. I've had enough <laughs> of my mates. I've had enough of Christmas and I want to be back in football as soon as possible, hopefully at a club that allows me to create trust, culture and habits. Yeah. And, and finally, just your time at Chesterfield. So it's a two, and a, two and a half years or so, you know, it was an amazing time. And on behalf of the fans, I, I can't speak for all of them, but a massive thank you for those times because they were just so good. And even now we look back and, and just watch bits of those matches and those times just because they were... The, the like the, the the goals where there'd be like 30, 40 passes and you know that were just absolute brilliant stuff. What 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 are your memories kind of looking back on those times? A little bit sad, purely sad the way it ended. I always think if things can end well, then they're good. You know, it's quite ironic that after we lost uh, to to Preston in the playoff, uh, every single player come back to Liverpool with me to have a few beers. And uh, obviously, me missus, Joanne, we'd have left the pub about half past nine. And I've got to tell you, I cried all the way home. That's how sad it was. Mm. And that's football. And you have a fantastic journey had come to an end. I was leaving a lot of fantastic people. And the sadness of it for the supporters, they never got to know properly. And that's sad. But as I've tried to explain to everyone today, I think it was just time and more than anything on all parts. And there should be no blame attached now. You know, football clubs, owners come and go, managers come and go, players come and go. But football clubs are there forever. And that's the most important thing. Listen, James is doing a fantastic job for years now. I think everyone's been behind the club for a long, long time. I think historically, you just want to, we want to go back to where we think we belong, wherever that is. You know, support your team through the bad times. You have certainly done that over the last few years, without a doubt. Enjoy your trip to Chelsea. Enjoy getting everyone behind the ball. 
tell James to defend his 18-yard box with his life. And I wish you well. I'll be following the results for the rest of the season. And hopefully it's a promotion campaign. Perfect. Thank you so much. Great. All the best. Have a great day. Enjoying it all is Jeff Hall, who invites himself into the manager's office every day bearing gifts. He's brought us the biscuits in again. He doesn't realise what he gets for bringing us a box of out-of-date biscuits in, doesn't he? Best supporters in the land. They're not out-of-date, surely they are. Yeah, 2012 they've got on the box, not 2013. Yeah, bought 10 to in. He's been to Buckingham Palace to meet the Queen, so we have to put up with everything now, don't we?